1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. But
2: really, when Naomi said to Ruth, sit still, she's not saying to Ruth to become passive. She's not saying that. It's just the opposite, because what Naomi was telling Ruth is the same as what Peter said in 1 Peter 5.7. 1 Peter 5.7 says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That's not a call to be passive. As a matter of fact, that verse is describing two activities, two very active works. First, there is the active work that we do, and that's called Casting all your care on him. That's the first one. That's a very active work. It's not continuous tense. So keep on casting, keep on casting, keep on casting. It's a very active word where we cast our care on God. The fact that the word is casting, it shows that we have to be doing this in a constant active process. Not just one time, but we have to keep on casting our care on God. That's our work. That's our work. That's what we do when we sit still. That's an active work of casting. But there's another work. There's another work. And this is really described as God's work. God's work is, for he careth for you. Again, same tense. This continuous here again. God is not passive, but very actively caring for us. Just as much as we go on continuously casting our care upon him. God goes on continually caring for us. That's why it's not true to say, well, if I don't care for myself, who's going to care? No one will care for me. That's not true because God is constantly caring for us. When a person says that, you know, if I don't care for myself, no one will care for me. Then God says, what am I, chopped liver? I mean, what am I doing here, you know? So Naomi is telling Ruth that she had done her part. She had done her part, and now she needs to cast her care on God, and now it's time to recognize that God is going to do his part in caring for Ruth. So when Naomi is telling Ruth, sit still, Naomi is really saying to Ruth, just leave God alone right now. Leave God alone in his work to care for you. Depend that he's going to care for you. Rely that he's going to care for you, but leave him alone. And after we've cast our care on God, it's time for us to sit still and just leave God alone to do his work of caring for us. So this verse in 1 Peter 5.7, 1 Peter 5.7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, is really important to see in the context of the two verses that sandwich this verse in 1 Peter together, because the full context is 1 Peter 5.6. Through eight, first Peter 5, 6 through 8 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So in this verse, we are told, first of all, before we even get to the casting care part, he says, Be humble, humble yourselves. That shows that we will only cast our care on God when we have humbled ourselves or after we have humbled ourselves. We cannot cast our care on God unless we humble ourselves. And if we are proud, and if we're thinking that we're really great, and then we're not gonna be casting our care on God, but pride's gonna lead us to believe that we can take care of it ourselves. Thank you very much, I don't need God's help. See, so that has to be dealt with right away, and that's the humble ourselves. So the verses read that we should first humble ourselves, then cast our care on God. Because the verse after that explains that the devil is a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. That's showing us that if we hold on to pride and don't cast our care on God, we set ourselves up to be attacked by the devil. And that description, very, very graphic, of the devil walking about, there's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, it reminds me at home, I think I told you this, in the front yard we have these three finch feeders, these really nice gold-breasted finch. They come there, and it's at the bottom of a 70-foot-tall pine tree. And I like to just watch these finches as they feed, you know, because I love like, watching them, because they don't relax while they eat, you know, so I don't know why. But anyway, no, I do know why. And so I'm watching them and you know they'll they'll like stick their head and grab some of the, the nitrous seed and then they're looking all around, you know, and then they'll go in and take another and they're looking all around, you know. They're always looking around and they're ready to take off in a moment's notice. And the reason because of that, the reason for that is because on the top of the pine tree is a nest of red tail hawks. <laughs> and they love eating finches. <laughs> and so they're just watching those finches down below and they're just saying to each other, don't worry, mama, we got we got the food right down here below us, no problem. And so when they come down out of that tree, it's really high drama. I mean, they come down and they spread out their wings and they start flapping it to disturb the air currents and the finches don't know what's going on and with the air and the what are these flapping wings and they grab one and they take them up there for lunch. Okay, so therefore, they're constantly vigilant They're conscious because they don't have a walking about. They have a red-tailed hawk flying over them, you know. And so we are just like the finches. We have to be just as vigilant. We have to be just as sober because the devil is just like the red-tailed hawk. And he's watching us, seeking who he can devour. And if we don't humble ourselves and cast our care on God, we make ourselves vulnerable to attack by the devil. Now, verse 18 starts off and it says, Says these words. Then said she. So you know who is this? Of course, this is Naomi speaking. Who's Naomi? Well, Naomi is older than Ruth. Ruth. Ruth was very wise to listen to Naomi. She's like she's like the el- she's like her mother. She calls him daughter. She's like her elder because Naomi has brought a lot of wisdom to this table, and Ruth respected that wisdom that came from Naomi's vast experiences of life. You know, when people are younger and they're trying to build a family or they're trying to build a career or they're trying to build a business, they just don't have time to sit down and pass on wisdom. But when they get old, then they have time and the experience to pass on what they've learned. You know, that reminds me of over 20 years ago when we're given the responsibility to manufacture first response pregnancy test. And we had never made a product like that before. And we didn't have a building to make it in. We didn't have technology to use. We didn't have people to do it. Apart from that, we were perfect. <laughs> and we had another big problem, which was always had, is that is that, you know, we hire people when we hire 20-year-olds or people in their 20s right out of school, you know, they're not real stable and they don't stay long because, you know, they think that they're Einstein and they gotta go, you know, find the Nobel Prize someplace else. And so here we have this new operation of manufacturing first response. And we can't have that. You know, we got we to gotta learn and stay, you know. So Diana Huerta, who was in charge of the project, was very, very wise because she knew that she had to build a stable workforce that would not quit and move on in their quest and move up to move up the corporate ladder. So she did something absolutely brilliant for her employees. She went to retirement homes and hired 80-year-olds. <laughs> it was unbelievable. <laughs> And some of them didn't even drive. We had to send a van to go get them. And they were just so happy to have a job again. They were so happy to have purpose again in life. And even though the job started at 8 a.m., they were showing up at 6 a.m. They just wanted to sit in the break room and eat donuts and drink coffee and just enjoy. I'm a valued member of a workforce again. And they never quit. They never quit. They died, but that was a different problem. But they had this wisdom from their years of experience. And then we did hire 20-year-olds, and we saw something wonderful take place. And that was the 80-year-olds who were working on alongside of the 20-year-olds, they began to treat the 20-year-olds like sons and daughters and pass on wisdom. It was great. It was just great. And what the older ones know about situations in life is when to stop worrying over a situation, because you're not going to change it, and when to not be depressed over a situation, and when to not be over-anxious, over-eager over over a situation, when to not lag behind in what you need to be doing, and when to not take on too much. That's wisdom. That's what the 80-year-olds had. Naomi was passing on this kind of wisdom to Ruth. Valuable advice when she told her, at this time, Ruth, you need to just sit still, So when Naomi told Ruth to sit still, Naomi was saying to Ruth, Ruth, you need to realize that you're only in the middle of it. You're only in the middle of it. On one hand, Boaz is at work. On your other hand, God is at work. And you're just in the middle. Bad anxieties will lose their grip on us when we see that we're like Ruth. Just in the middle, just in the middle with a situation on one hand, and then God on the other hand, and we're in the middle. So when Naomi told Ruth, sit still, she was saying to Ruth, Ruth, life has a plan. Life has a purpose, and it's meant to shape us. Don't forget about God. Don't forget about God who's called the potter in Isaiah 64.8, Isaiah 64.8. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay, and thou art potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. See, we're just wet clay on a wheel, and God is forming us and shaping us by the situation. And to sit still is to realize that life has this plan and it's taking this shape. That's the whole idea behind Sibelius's hymn, which is like the national hymn of, of Finland. If anybody's ever been to Finland, they have a lot to worry about in Finland because it's terribly cold up there. But not only that, they're right next to these enemies, the Russia invades them, doesn't invade us, And so he wrote this hymn to calm his country when he said, and he wrote these words, Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend. Through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. So is saying, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. Sounds so uncertain when you say the matter will fall, how the matter will fall. You say fall? That's how it looks to me, all right. Just as uncertain as something falling. But what looks to us as uncertain, as falling, is really as certain as God has already determined exactly where that matter is going to fall. It'll fall exactly where God has determined and decided it's going to fall. Now, in verse 18, when Naomi speaks to Ruth, we can just picture Naomi in a motherly fashion pulling Ruth in close. Come on, Ruth, get close to me. and, And she's pulling Ruth in, and she's saying, Ruth, my daughter, the man will not be in rest until he has finished this day. As Naomi does this, we can see Naomi looking right into the eyes of Ruth And as she does this, we can see Naomi just really conveying a certain message to Ruth. I mean, it's not written here, but you get this really strong message because she's saying, Ruth, I know this man. I know this man. Ruth, I know Boaz. And for what I know about Boaz, I can tell you that he will not be in rest until he has finished this thing this day. You're going to know the outcome this day because I know Boaz. That's what she's saying. Now, that's quite a statement where Naomi was saying to Ruth that she knew Boaz. As a matter of fact, Naomi was really able to comfort Ruth and take away her anxiety because Naomi knew Boaz. I mean, you know, Ruth could have said to Naomi, really? Really? Really, Naomi? Do you really know Boaz that well that you can tell me that he's gonna finish this matter today? Do you really know Boaz that well, Naomi? And this is where Naomi could step right back in and say, Yes, Ruth, I really do know Boaz. And I'm telling you that because I know him so well, I know he's gonna finish this matter this day. See, the more that Naomi did know about Boaz, the more that Naomi was able to comfort Ruth. Ruth was helped because Naomi's knowledge of Boaz. And Ruth received this help because Naomi made the decision to tell Ruth about what she knew about Boaz. So Ruth's anxiety was taken away because Naomi knew Boaz, and Naomi decided to tell Ruth that what she knew about Boaz, that he was a man of decisive action, and it wasn't the sun wasn't going to go down before he had finished this. Now, all this is brought out to us in verse 18 when Naomi says, with absolute certainty, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. And this is really a picture that Naomi, knowing Boaz and telling Ruth about Boaz, that makes such a teaching picture for us. This is what helps us so much. Because this picture gets home to us when we see ourselves like Naomi, And we see Boaz like the Lord Jesus Christ, and we see Ruth like those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, consider Naomi as representing us. Just as Naomi knew Boaz, so we know the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this great strength, which is our knowledge of him. And that's the one way that we become stronger and stronger that strength is described for us in Daniel eleven thirty two. 32. Daniel 11, 32. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Those that are strong are those that do know their God. That's the true strength. It's the knowledge of our God. It's the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was actually in a state of his greatest weakness when he confessed that he didn't know God. When he said that, it is conversion in Acts 9.3, Acts 9.3, where it says, "As as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So when Paul's on this road to Damascus and his great light focuses down on him and he hears this voice from heaven asking him why he was persecuting God, Paul says, who are you, Lord? Can you imagine that scene? I mean, this man, who at that time was known as Saul, was the great Jewish scholar schooled in the deep knowledge of Judaism at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel carrying out the will of the great synagogue to stop these Christians, a person who could give you deep instruction in religious thought and the Bible. And this is the person who cries out, who are you, Lord? That was a confession of utter ignorance and weakness. And at that point, Paul was saying, I know everything about religion. I know nothing about God. And at that point, Saul was saying, I know everything about the Bible, I know nothing about God. At that point Paul was saying, I have great prestige, I have reputation, I have honor among these among men, but I don't have eternal life. And that was all because Saul did not know the answer to the question, who is God? Who is God? And the simple truth that changed everything for Saul was the answer when Saul asked God who he was. And he got the simple truth in Acts 9.5, Acts 9.5, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. God is Jesus. And when Paul learned that, he became strong. And as we learn more about Jesus, more about Jesus, Paul learned more about God, more about God. Paul became stronger and stronger and stronger. And there's one block. There's one block that stands in the way of every person who wants to know God. And that block is described in Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, And they shall teach no man, every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. They shall know the Lord when he forgives their iniquity and remembers their sin no more. When any person wants to know God, and their sin has not been forgiven, has not been forgiven through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it results in a futile attempt in trying to know God that spirals down to religion without the knowledge of God. And it's knowing the Lord Jesus Christ that, makes, that brings eternal life. As he said in John 17.3, John 17.3, this is life eternal they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. 1 John 5.20, 1 John 5.20, we know him that is true. We are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So Daniel says in Daniel 11.32, Daniel 11.32, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And those that do know the Lord Jesus Christ shall be strong and do exploits. You know, a picture of knowing God and and being strong doing exploits comes from the history of Hanukkah. It comes from the history of Hanukkah because it was about 167 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem that there was this Jewish priest named Metatias, and he had five sons. He had five sons. One of them was Judas. One of them was Judas. And Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great died a very young man, and he died having no sons. So that was a problem. So they divided up his kingdom among three generals. And the one that ruled over Palestine, over Israel, was Antiochus. And Antiochus, he terrorized the Jewish people, and he wanted to stop the worship of God in the temple. So he ordered his soldiers to sacrifice a pig, offer a pig on the altar in the temple. And the five sons had agreed to come to the temple for the offering of the pig And just before the the pig was to be offered, they would kill all the soldiers, and so they came with daggers and swords, you know, under their robes. And so this one, Judas Maccabee, he was the leader. And so at the signal, Maccabee was not his name at that time. It was just Judas. And at the signal at the right time, Judas gave the signal, and the signal was a phrase. It was a phrase that he yelled out, and that was their signal to take their daggers out and kill the soldiers, which they did. So he gave the signal, Mi Kamoka Be'alim Yahweh, or they say Adonai. Mi Kamoka Be'alim Adonai, okay, which means who among the gods is like God. And that's where you get the Maccabee because M, Me, Kaboka, K, Be'alim, among gods, B, and then it's, it's not Adonai, it's Yahweh, so the Yud son, so M, K, B, Y. So that becomes Maccabee, and that's where Maccabee comes from. So when the pig was being offered, Judas said, Mikaboka Be'alim, Yahweh, and who is among our gods? Who is like our God? And they all drew out their swords and their daggers and they killed the soldiers. And then they only found enough oil for a single day, but it lasted for eight days. And so we have Hanukkah. But the Maccabees knew their God and were strong and did exploits. Our strength comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ.